So Ephesians 4, um, we, we finished off at verse 16 last week. We're going to jump into 4.17 and read through uh, to 5.20. Because this in the NIV and probably in whatever translation you are, this is one section in the scripture that is so, so instructive. So let's get into it. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. They are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard, with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And that's why it said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's cool to read a big passage of scripture like this because it reminds me that when Paul was speaking to the church in Ephesus, they read this letter. This was a letter. I don't know how many parchments it would have been on or how it would have been rolled up or whatever, however they did it back then. But that's literally what it would have been like in the church in Ephesus when they received these instructions from Paul. Except for they would have gone from chapter 1, verse 1, right to the end of chapter 6. Cool, right? To think about what that would be like to hear instructions in this way. Let me say this to start. I promise it relates. I don't like to fly. How many of you love to get on an airplane and fly somewhere? Bless you. I used to, I used to love it. I used to love it. And then about six years ago, um, I had what I think was uh, an anxiety attack on a flight. And it's never been the same for me because I'm always afraid it's going to happen again. It's just kind of a bummer. It's a bummer because I used to love to fly. And listen, I still fly places. Jesus helps me. Uh, you know, what does it say? Cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. I understand. So Jesus and I, we work, we work together for real. But I have been lots of places on planes in the last six years, and I live to tell the tale, of course. But here's the difference between being someone who's now nervous to fly and before I was, because I, I flew a lot before that. The things I used to completely ignore when I was flying are now serious concerns for me. I'm always torn now when the safety demonstration comes on. I'm always trying to decide, should I listen so that I'm fully prepared if something goes wrong here? Or should I put my earbuds in and completely ignore what the person is doing with, the, with all of the things and the masks and the, all the whatever? Because the more I listen to what they're saying, the more anxious I get about what could go wrong. And so I'm always torn between two realities. Like, should I just be really prepared? Yes, that's where the life vests are. Under my seat, yes. Oh, my, my, my seat will become a flotation device. Whatever, like I know the things. Should I listen or should I ignore and try to just quell my anxiety and hope that my heart doesn't race during turbulence? But I really do pay attention. Actually, what's happened is I do pay attention more than I ever have before to those safety demonstrations. We've all probably heard them. Even if you've never flown, you probably know what that safety de demonstration looks like. And the one that gets me every time, because I pay attention to it now like I never have before, is that you are supposed to put on your own, you know this one, right, oxygen mask before assisting others. I listen to this one and I go, like, I love my husband, but he can take care of himself. Do you know what I'm saying? That's fine. Because he's a full-grown grown-up. He's a full-grown grown-up. It's fine. And he would be the same. He'd be like, I mean, if I was struggling, I know he would help me and vice versa. But you're supposed to put on your own oxygen mask. You're telling this mother. That if my child, I don't care that my children are adults now. You're telling me that my 20-year-old child sitting beside me was struggling with her oxygen mask, that I would put mine on first? I don't think I would. I don't, right? Thank you, right? You just can't. There's, you can't. I couldn't do it. I know you're, you know, you're supposed to. I don't think I could actually do it. It's logical, but I don't care. I was thinking, so I, these are the things. <laughs> so this is what it's like to fly with me. I, all of this goes on inside of my head. But, like, if Rob and I are flying together, it's mostly just, like, this is happening in my head. All of these, like, thoughts about the oxygen masks and the life vests and whatever, and I'm just, like, holding on to him, right? <laughs> like, just, just Rob and Jesus. That's all we're holding on to while we're flying, right? He is very, very calm. He just not, flying does not bother him at all. I'm like, turbulence is crazy, eh? He's like, what are you even talking about? Like, what are you, what are you? yeah, honey, yeah, Jesus has got you. In some ways, uh, this, this is, um, this is, the 30-foot view of this passage, this idea that I was just talking about. Uh, 
the Get Secure course, uh, Pastor Dell says it like this. Followers of Jesus point to Christ as the world's only hope for a way out of spiritual darkness. To do that, you have to be intentional about not getting sidetracked by distractions and diversions that take your focus off making every moment count for God's kingdom. You literally, as we've been learning here, you literally have to don your own spiritual mask and breathe that oxygen before you can help others to do the same. But when you are breathing that air, even if it's your first, your first breath, you truly can be a part of transforming the lives of others in the same way. But you have to understand these principles for yourself. You literally have to don your own spiritual mask first. This is a, a, a fascinating passage to study. There's a lot in what we read together this morning. And if you'll allow me to just continue with this flying metaphor for just a minute, we are going to circle around 417 to 57, and then we're going to come in for a landing on, on uh, chapter 5, verse 8. So if you want to look ahead and see where we're going, that's fine with me. So this whole section of Ephesians is called Instructions for Christian Living, like I said in, in the NIV, that's what it looks like. And I want you to remember that uh, here we are now living, chapters 4 to 6, like who we have become, which is what we learned about in chapters 1 to 3. And one commentator just right off the top says it like this. What is immediately noteworthy is the apostle's emphasis on the intellectual factor in everybody's way of life. While describing unbelievers, he draws attention to the futility of their minds adds that they are darkened in their understanding and attributes their alienation from God to the ignorance that is in them. He then refers, thus refers to their empty minds, darkened understanding and inward ignorance, which as a result of which has, they have become callous and unclean. But in contrast to them, the believers ha had learned Christ, heard him, been taught in him, all according to the truth, which is in Jesus. Scripture bears an unwavering testimony to the power of ignorance and error to corrupt, but the power of truth to liberate, ennoble, and refine. In other words, in Christ, we have been transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's the way it says it in Romans 12 too. And this makes all the difference for us living out this life as a Christ follower. Because before we knew Christ, our hearts were hard. We had lost spiritual sensitivity. And now we have had, according to Ezekiel 36, 26, this is a great metaphor a couple of times actually in the Old Testament, a spiritual heart transplant. We have a new heart and a new spirit that were given to us, removing our hearts of stone, giving us hearts of flesh that can sense and respond to the spirit. And this, this exchange, this transaction, this is what, this what has happened to us and continues to happen in us is nothing short of a miracle. But this isn't the end of the story. It's not just that moment in time of salvation where we get to exchange that heart of flesh, uh, heart of stone for a heart of flesh. Because what happens is we then live on with these new hearts. It's the difference between, uh, as I read in, in one of the studies that I was reading about this, is the difference between becoming Christian and becoming a Christian. It's a difference between sanctification and justification. Big words, but they, what it means is that you were justified or you were made right with God when you put your faith in Jesus. That happened in a moment. That's when you got this spiritual heart transplant. This great exchange took place. But now, once you get saved, other than like the thief on the cross and a, a few of uh, issues like that, most of us, when we decide to follow Jesus, then have a whole life in front of us to live that out. 
So now you are being sanctified is the word we use for that. It's a process that happens daily in your walk with Christ. It's not just about becoming a Christian, which is a beautiful moment of transformation, but becoming Christian, little Christs, followers of Jesus in everything you do and everything you say as you learn from your master. Ephesians 4 describes then what it was like before this moment of this heart transplant and what you're then walking that out should now be looking like. Practically speaking, uh, you can see what it looks like to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's 4, 23 and 24. This is what it looks like to be made new in the attitude of your mind. Paul gets very practical with the church in Ephesus. He says to them and he says to us through the Holy Spirit, don't lie to each other, but speak truthfully. This might seem really um, easy. It's just not as easy to do as you think. When songs come on in the room, it's very distracting for someone who wants to sing all the songs all the time. Uh, don't lie to each other. Speak to each other truthfully. Don't sin in your anger. Don't let it fester. Don't let the devil have a foothold in your life because you can't let go of your anger. Deal with it in a healthy way. Don't steal, but work and do something useful so that you can share it with others. Don't be selfish. This is the one we had on our fridge written out for a long time when our kids were little. They could all quote it to you. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. You have any kids in your house who might need that lesson? You have any grown-ups in your house who might need that lesson? <laughs> Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Do what pleases him. Do what he's asking you to do. Be obedient. Get rid of bitterness, get rid of rage, get rid of anger and brawling and slander and malice and all of that stuff. Instead of that, we, you are to be kind and compassionate and forgiving. Why? Because this is what Jesus did for you. And now you have a new life and a new heart that's sensitive to the spirit. And you can do the things that look like your master. In other words, walk in the way of love, as 5.2 says it. Because that's what Jesus modeled for us. And he gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice. And how could we do any less for him? This is just, the contrast here just puts on display what an incredible transformation we have had in Christ. I mean, these, these, these lists of things, these are just like not anything like each other. Talk about living like the people we have become. We have a completely new life in Jesus. The NIV application commentary says it like this. So often, we place so much emphasis on human weakness, on our own inability to do anything profitable, and on the necessity of God's actions in salvation that no room is left for human responsibility. The New Testament never gives this impression. We must expect something of ourselves. We want discipleship without discipline. It does not exist. The challenge is to do what we should to live worthy of the call. From the beginning of chapter 4, we heard that phrase, to live worthy of the call. And that's the vibe here. That's what we're responsible for. We are responsible to choose 
to walk in these ways, empowered by the Spirit, of course, but we still have to choose it. In fact, that word live, it's, it's translated as live in 4.1 and 4.17, but it's 5.2 or 5, says it walk, and they actually all are from the same Greek word. They all mean walk, but it sounds awkward in the English, but this is what it would sound like. Uh, 4.1 would sound like walk a life worthy of the calling you have received. There's movement, there's momentum to it, there's, there's, you're not just staying in place. 4.17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And then 5.2, walk in the way of love. There's just such an action to it that's specific. Live kind of sums it up, but walk has this, this idea of like step after step after step after step. And the alternative to this is not sugarcoated for us in Scripture. Scripture doesn't really sugarcoat much for us, does it? In 5, 5 to 7, it tells us that to not walk in this way means that you will not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. That you are under the wrath of God. The warning is to make sure that you are not partnering with people who are disobedient. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, that that word disobedient in the Greek is equal to and is exchanged often for the word unbeliever. Somebody who does not have a relationship with Jesus, is not in Christ, is an unbeliever, and they are disobedient to uh, what God is calling them to. But if somebody tells you that they are, uh, they are in Christ, but they are disobedient to the things that you're reading in Scripture, then they are living as though they don't believe. That's what this means. And it says to not be partners with people who are disobedient. And that's an interesting picture because it means to share in a possession or a relationship. There's an idea here uh, that you want to keep your life from coming into agreement with the way that you were before you were transformed and made new. And you have to be on your guard for this. You don't want to share in what they possess because what you have received is so much greater. Obviously, we want that for them too. But in this case, he's saying watch yourself. Watch who you're partnering with. Watch what you agree with. Watch and be careful. Because what the world possesses, what a disobedient, unbelieving world possesses is separation from God, the wrath of God, and the grief of the Holy Spirit. And everyone is invited, everyone is included, but while we make that choice, you need to be sure that your life is not partnering with the things and the ways that you were before you knew him. And in case you weren't fully grasping the picture of how different things are now that you are in Christ, let's come in for a landing Here's my last airplane metaphor. For on verse 8, like I promised. It says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. This little phrase right here is an amazing summary of the whole book of Ephesians. And perhaps all of Paul's theology. Or if you want to be smart, you want to like have something cute to say at lunch today. Um, if you're studying the scriptures, you're studying theology, we call it Pauline theology. Anything that Paul writes is Pauline. In the Pauline letters, you can just say that to sound smart. But in Paul's writings, this is actually such a good uh, summary of what he's saying both here and just in general in, in what he writes to the churches. Because this doesn't say that you are a light after being in darkness. It says you were darkness and you are light now. You hear the difference? 
I want you to let that just sit in your spirit for a minute. You can stare at it on the screen. Think about yourself on Tuesday. I always use Tuesday as an example. Monday is Monday. Wednesday is like how long till the end of the week. Thursday and Friday are like, oh, it's almost the weekend. You know, Tuesday is the day I just use when I think about my life, like a, a regular day, just a regular day in your life. Think about yourself on Tuesday, walking around work, pushing a cart through the grocery store, going to class, going to the gym. I don't know what you're doing on Tuesday. This says you are light walking through darkness. The goodness, righteousness, and truth of how you live your life are proof that you are light. This isn't, of course, something to brag about. This is something to be in awe of. This is not something you go, yeah, I'm awesome. All those unbelievers, ha ha, suckers. Like, no. This is something for you to look at and think about and say, I didn't do anything to deserve this. I can't live up to this by doing enough good stuff. This is just something to be in awe of. We should have like a cell phone screen on today. Just like, everyone, please silence your cell phones. Just for the pastor's sake, because she, she uh, squirrel? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How you live your life is proof that you are light. So think about your Tuesday. You are not a light on your own, of course. You are light, what does it say? In the Lord. This also isn't something that you, you know, you, you'll wag your, you don't wag your finger at dirty sinners around you because you understand it's just amazing that you were transformed and, and you're, you have freedom and all of this is yours in Christ. And instead, we don't look at the world and say, oh, I can't believe you guys are so dumb. Jesus is so awesome. You look at the world and say, I want so desperately for you to know the same transformation and freedom and light that I now have in Christ. And so verses 11 to 17 basically say, let the light that you are do its work. Because light makes things visible and it changes things to light. Light makes light, it says. The light of Christ in us does, uncomfortably perhaps, expose sin in our lives and in the lives of others. This light sets up an unmistakable contrast to everything that was described earlier in this passage. And it, is also, it also has the power to beautifully call people into a life that is abundant and free in Christ and out of a life that isn't working and now and certainly won't be working for eternity. This light that we live with, that we are, calls people to that same light. That's the point of it. We are undeniably called to, to understand and walk as though we understand how different we are now that we know Jesus. The separation called for in this passage is not so much a withdrawal from the world. That's not the Great Commission at all. It says to go. This is a call for confrontation. And I don't mean confrontation in words. Like I said, we're not wagging our fingers at people who don't know Christ. It's a confrontation to say, I will let my, myself be light of Christ in every place that I go. And I will not partner and I will not compromise with the world. I will live the way that God has called me to live, in gentleness, in patience, in love, forbearing with others, forgiving because I have been given so much forgiveness, and I will walk in light in a very, very dark world. 
that's what we're called to do. In other words, we can't be ashamed of the gospel that has changed our lives. We can't hide this light under a bushel. No. You grew up in church, you understood the reference. I'm sorry if you didn't. I could sing that song for you later. Remember Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, you don't have a light and then hide under a bushel. That makes no sense. And so the little kid's song is amazing. This little light of mine, I'm going to hide it under a bushel. Oh, my gosh. I know why Aaron asked you this morning if you guys were okay. You guys are just listening. I love it. I love it. You're absorbing. I love it. I just want to make sure you're still with me. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. That just made my whole day. If you, even if you didn't want to do it and you felt forced, I apologize. But that was good for my heart. So I, pr- I appreciate it. You just blessed me. Or, or even better, if, you're, if you've really been to Sunday school, don't let Satan it out. Yeah, that's good. That's literally, like that, that's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said something like that in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you cannot hide your light. It makes no sense to hide your light. Why would you be light and then hide the light? It doesn't make any sense. You you have so much to give the world around you. And some of you are thinking right now, you're like fired up. Yes, let's go expose all the darkness. Let's do it now. How Some of you are feeling that way. I love that for you. And some of you are thinking, I am not qualified to do any of this illuminating business that I'm reading about in scripture. We typically do have one or the other reaction that I could never do, that I could never go into my workplace on Tuesday and share what Christ has done in my life. That's for other people. That's for the brave people. That's for the evangelists among us. That's not what this says, friends. Some of you are a little too eager, and I just need you to just make sure that you're listening to the Spirit. But no matter where you sit, on either side of that spectrum, regardless how you feel about this call in Scripture, um, we really have to understand, understand either if you're very eager or if you're like, not me, Lord, please go ahead and choose someone else. You need to understand where this, uh, where the ability comes from to expose darkness with light. It's everything we've talked about. It comes from who we are in Christ, the transformation that is taking place in us, the power of the Holy Spirit, and our commitment to love one another fiercely. We come, we, we come to this, this ability to sh- uh, shine light in darkness because of who we are in Christ, because what he has given us, and because we love people so much that we want them to know what we have had uh, done in our lives, what, what kind of heart transplant we have had, and knowing that they could have the same thing. If you are right, but you don't love, you're not sharing the gospel, And if you love people but you don't share the gospel and you don't tell them what's true, then you're not doing what you're called to do. We have to have both. So we've talked about our core value of connect a couple weeks ago. We connect with God and others. We've talked about our core value of learn. We want to learn to think and act like Jesus. And so I'll, I'll show you this. You're like, why the Venn diagram? I know, very exciting, right? Um, so we have taught, we used to show it like this, that we would, um, we would, I'll just do this for connect. I'm going to use multiple colors only, I know it takes more time, but it just makes me feel so happy. Connect, learn, and engage. And we talked about it like this for years, and this is actually a really valid way to see it, of course. And what we're looking for then is for our lives to have all of these things. We want to connect with God and others. We want to learn to think and act like Jesus. And we want to engage the world for Christ. And right here in the middle is the sweet spot. This is the place of life transformation right here. 
where we have all of these things working in our lives at the same time. Where we are we're finding ways and means to be doing all of these things at the same time. And so that's why our third value is engaged, because we think it's so, so vital. And we still fully believe that all of these values should be active and growing in each believer's life. But I'll tell you the truth about this. This one's really hard to balance out with the other two. I can tell you, you probably have a list of things that you could, in the connect, in the learn categories, how many things do you do in your life as a believer that looks like what we just read as being, a, a, being light and darkness, engaging the world with the message of Christ. I don't say that to shame you or guilt you. I'm just trying to be honest that we as a staff for years have been talking about this circle. How do we do this better? We can't just keep learning. We can't just keep connecting with one another and with God. Those things absolutely are vital. We've been talking about them for weeks. But we cannot leave it there. That's only a part of the picture. How do we explain this better? How do we do this more? How do we live out who we have become in Christ? I might have a laundry list of ways that I'm connecting and learning, but in what ways am I engaging with the world for Christ? I wonder if perhaps we should understand our connecting and learning a little differently. More like as a setup for our ability to engage. It doesn't negate the importance of any one of these things. But what if we thought about it just a little bit differently? Um, did I do blue for Connect last time? Visual learners, did you guys remember? It was green? Okay. <laughs> I just, I just, everyone I heard just say that. Um, I just added that to my personality profile of you, how you remembered what that other thing looked like. What if we looked at it just a little bit differently and we thought about connecting, I put them together here because so often you do get an overlap. When we are in, a, in one of our small groups, you're, you're, you're connecting with God, you're connecting with others, you're learning together in the word to think and act like Jesus. So sometimes these things happen together, but what if we thought about it just a little differently, that our connecting was intended to help us to engage the world for Christ. And our learning was intended to help us engage the world for Christ. And as we learn to engage the world for Christ, we realize I need a little bit more in my life. I need to learn about some things. And so it takes us back to connecting with, uh, with God and others. It takes, us, it takes us back to prayer. It takes us back to the word. It takes us back to learning more about how to share our faith, how to answer hard questions that are in the scriptures. And instead of thinking about it like this, we think these things that were so, are so easy for us to think about ways to do that are intended in every way to point us to how we can be light in a dark world. What if we thought about it just a little differently? What if we understood our, our small groups and Sunday services and prayer times and youth and kids and young adult ministries to be times of refreshing, which are needed um, uh, and for our equipping, not so that we can come back on Sunday and be refreshed and equipped again, but so that the equipping would take us into the world so that we can engage the world in meaningful and loving and truthful ways for Christ. And then when we gather, any time that we get to gather, any time we get to be together and we, we, get, we, we, we are taught, we are connected, we are uh, be continuously filled with the Spirit, we do this together so that we are again ready to engage the world. Time is short, friends. Time is short. Jesus warned us of that 2,000 years ago. How much shorter is the time now? we got to reclaim the urgency of being ready for his return. And I'm not going to do that by screaming at you today. I'm just going to remind you that we are light. We are called to shine light in the darkness and change the dark things into light around us. 
We are calling the ones who are spiritually sleeping to wake up so that Christ can shine on them. We need to make sure that we are not the ones who are asleep. In Ephesians 1 to 3, we are learning to be secure in Christ. We have donned our own oxygen masks. We settle the things that we know from the word of who we are in Jesus. And now, we have to trust who we are in Christ and undeniably live like the people we have become. We have to now be ready to engage everyone with the message of the gospel. If this is your very life and breath, it must be shared with the world. So I guess the challenge is twofold today. First of all, is Jesus your life and breath? Do you know him like that? I'm not talking about getting goosebumps every time you open up the word. I hope that happens sometimes because he just meets us sometimes. I'm talking about the faithful pursuit of Jesus, knowing him, learning to think and act like him, connecting with him daily, choosing to do it whether you feel like it or you don't, whether you get goosebumps or you don't, whether your favorite worship song is playing or it isn't. That's the challenge. Is Jesus your life and breath? Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you understand what he's done and how different you are? I mean, Ephesians, this passage we read, it just sets it up like, what a contrast. Some of you got saved as kids. You don't even remember how long you've been been serving the Lord. That's okay. You don't have to live. I'm going to go live in depravity for a while so that I really feel forgiven. No, 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 no. What a great testimony that is, that you have a legacy of faith that has brought you this far. But remember who you are in Christ. Don't be caught sleeping. So that's the challenge. And then the other challenge is, if Jesus really is who you say he is in your life, how are you engaging the world for Christ? How is it on Tuesday you are going to be light in a dark world? How is it that you are going to live as the person you have become? How is it that you are going to now help someone else put on their oxygen mask so they can breathe the same new life that you are breathing? What does that look like for you? What's cool is that each one of us is differently gifted. Each one of us is art. We work at different places. We go to different schools. We have different ways of communicating. We have different neighbors. And yet we all have the same Christ and the same calling. And so we have the opportunity to be light, not even a light, be light in darkness every single day. That means you watch your life and calling closely. It means you invite the Holy Spirit into every conversation. And this morning what I'm going to ask you to do is something really practical. Before the worship team comes, so in, just in a quiet moment here, I'm going to ask you to write something down. And I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to speak because he's so good at that. I want you to write something down. I want you to write down what would look different to you 
if you were to engage the world for Christ. So one of the things that would be a, maybe a practical one is, why don't you write down the name of one, two, three people in your life who you are committing to praying for because you know how much they need the Lord. They might seem so far from Christ. I mean, I don't, I don't know how big your God is, but God can do anything exceedingly, abundantly more than we could even ask or imagine or think or depending on the translation you're looking at. So God is not unable. Who has he put on your heart that you need to be praying, that you have the opportunity to share the life and breath that is yours in Christ? Maybe there's something that you need to fix with a colleague at work. There's a broken relationship and you need to come humbly and, and show what it looks like to humble yourself and to make amends and to bring reconciliation so that they will see what forgiveness looks like. Maybe, maybe that's, there, and it's, oh, you might not even be wrong. Okay, maybe you're 1% wrong, but they're 99% wrong, but you're going to come in humility and, and work to restore brokenness in your life. I don't know. Maybe there's something in your home, something with your kids. I'll tell you, uh, some of you, hopefully you get the email devotional that we send out once a, once a month. And back in September, uh, Sloan came up to me after, actually after uh, a Sunday night conversation on sexuality that we did last month. And, and she said to me, Sloan is um, 15, how old is Sloan, she? 16, almost 16. She's in grade 11. And she said, you know what, though? She goes, I, I just want you to know what it's like in the world. I want you to know what it's like in our schools. Because we were talking about identity, where you really find your identity from. She goes, they, they told me to write this essay about identity. And I'm supposed to, like, name all of the things that make me who I am. But none of them made me who I am. Jesus is the one who makes me who I am. But I don't know if I'm allowed to write that, but I'm just going to do it anyway. I don't actually know what kind of grade she got. She didn't tell me. I hope she didn't fail it. <laughs> but for the glory of God. She, um, so she wrote her essay to say, it's not my hobbies. It's not my sexuality. It's not my gender. It's, it's not anything. It's not my talents. None of these things make me who I am. Who I am comes from um, who Jesus has said that I am. And she wrote this essay, and I, I sent it out in our email devotional. Hopefully you saw it. That's what it looks like to be light in a dark world to speak truth when you don't know the consequence of what it's going to be, but it needs to be said because it's what needs to be said. And I, I just, I'm just wondering how the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you. So just now as the worship team comes, I'm just going to close in a, in a song, help us kind of solidify this. And I want you, I do want to challenge you don't pass this moment up on your phone or in your Bible or um, just on a notepaper you have. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what it might look like in a practical way, in a prayerful way, being led by the Spirit to be light in the darkness in the world that we're called to be. So Holy Spirit, we invite you even as we already have earlier. We, we already postured our hearts, and for this reason, we invite you to come and speak to us. We, don't, we, we love the word. We love the, the practical application of the word. 
And we don't want it to be about the church in Ephesus. We don't want it to be about somebody else or somebody else's application of these points. We want these points to be applicable to us. So we invite you to say even something challenging to us, Holy Spirit. Put the, the people in our minds who you are calling us to pray for. The, set us up this week to, to, have, to be uh, invited into the conversation you're already having with people. And you're going to use us to be light in darkness and to, to, to show people this beautiful heart transplant, this transformation that we know in you. Whatever that looks like, Holy Spirit, come. Give us the practical application how to love our neighbors well, how to serve them well, how to reach out to the places that they are, how to, to get to know them, how to be hospitable, whatever it is you're calling us to. Give us the practical application of your word so that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Holy Spirit, do in us and through us what you want for your kingdom and your glory, that you would build your church. We receive the challenge and we say yes. We say yes, Lord. Let's stand together, church. Let's just let the Holy Spirit continue to speak to us while...